So what we're going to talk about today is how do I hear what God's saying to me? What am I doing in that time now that I have my body slowed down or at least somewhat under control as I'm turning to listen to what God's, my spirit, what's saying? How do I do that? What do I do? And why are we doing that together as a church? So that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about it, I want to talk first about about corporate prayer. We have on uh, the first Wednesday of every month, except this week we're doing it this week because it's part of our fasting and prayer time, we have a a, a service devoted to just praying as as a church coming together. Corporate prayer just means praying together as a church. Praying together as a church. We should all have a prayer life. We should all have a time when we meet with God and we pray with God and should, can pray with Him throughout the day. I talk to Him all day long, but I have a, a, an appointment that I make with Him every morning. My appointment's at 6 o'clock. I'll get up. Sometimes I wake up earlier and I go to the appointment earlier. I get up at 6 o'clock and I'm there to meet with God and to listen to God and to talk with God. And you should all do that whatever the best time of your day is, whenever you're giving Him the best time. For me, that's the first thing in the morning. But there are times when the church needs to come together. And there are many examples of that in the Bible. Um, and I've only, I'm going to only going to mention a few. In 1 Chronicles chapter 20 is a story of, of we mentioned it last week, of, of King Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. And the, the, he woke up one day to discover that there were three armies bearing down on him. And, and I love it. The Bible is just is real. It talks about real people. And it says he feared he, well, you wake up some morning and find out you have three enemies standing at your door ready to destroy you, and you can become afraid. But it's what he did with the fear. It said he just chose to seek God. We'll see the verse a little later on. And he declared a fast and called the nation of Judah together, and they began to seek God of what to do. And out of that, God gave them instructions of what to do. And God said to them, you do not need to fight in this battle because the battle's not yours, the battle's mine. There are many of you this morning that are in a battle. It may be a health battle, it may be a battle for your marriage, it may be a battle for some children that are off where they shouldn't be. You're in a battle and you need to hear what God's saying to you about that battle, the strategy for that battle, because God told them, you don't need to fight in that battle. There are many of you that are trying to fight a battle God wants to fight for you. I'm going to say that again because that was worth the price of admission today. There are many of you that are fighting a battle. You're trying to fight the battle. You're weary, you're worn out, and you're losing because you're trying to fight a battle God wants to fight for you and you're in His way. But you've got to hear that from God. He gave them a strategy. So that was a time when they came together. We looked at Nineveh, the book of Jonah, the prophet Jonah. How, how God sent Jonah after finally Jonah decided to obey God and to preach, a, a, a go through the city and just declare for a week, you know, you got 40 days to get your affairs in order because you're toast, because you're such an evil city. And the people, not the pastor, the people, not the king, the people said, we, 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 let's fast and see if maybe God will we'll take note of what we're doing and that we're repenting and maybe he'll change his mind. And the king got behind them and did it also. And God heard. And God changed his mind and saved the city for about another generation. The next generation didn't do that. They didn't come together. They didn't set themselves to hear what God had and they had to be destroyed. Then we have wonderful stories in the book of Acts in the New Testament 
where we have in Acts chapter 4, where the, 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 well, Acts chapter 2. Jesus has told the disciples in Acts chapter 1, He says, you need to, you know, you've walked with me for three and a half years. I've trained you. I've taught you. I've given you examples. But that's not enough. You need to wait in Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. And we still need to wait until we're endued with power from on high. We don't need to wait, but we need the power from on high. And then what did they do? What did they do? They gathered together and stayed together as a church. They got together and they prayed and they sought God because they didn't know what He meant. Jesus told them something was, had to happen. They knew that it had to, something had to happen, but they didn't know what to look for. So they came together to see God together. And then on the day of Pentecost, that wonderful story in Acts chapter 2, where the Holy Spirit's poured out, and as a result of that, I think it's five, 3,000 get saved that day? 3,000 get saved that day. Not because of some wonderful evangelistic program. The church got together and sought God. What do we do? And God gave an answer. We've got so many wonderful programs out there of what we can do to evangelize and what we can do, but we, don't have, but we need to find out from God what He's telling us to do, and then we'll do it. What, that's, I'm getting ahead of myself, John. Slow down, John. Slow down. That's good. Just get ahead. Come. Okay, John. Then over in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are now being persecuted. They've been brought before the authorities. And they've been told, look, because there was a wonderful miracle, this man at the gate, beautiful, that had been lame his whole life, was, was raised up and strengthened and was running around giving glory to God and it caused a tremendous commotion because everybody knew who he was. So they haul Peter and John in before the, the, the authorities, the Jewish authorities, and they say, you know, by what, how you, what are you doing? This? By, by the name of Jesus? So they beat them a little bit and they say, you can't, you, you can't do anything in that name. And I don't have time to get into what Peter's answer was, but it was amazing. And what's, while, while, the thought, while, while the pastors are being arrested, and that could come, what did the church do? They get on Facebook and say, Oh, it's terrible! Look what's happening! They came together and prayed. Paul, knocked off his horse by blinding light, and Jesus speaks to him and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And his eyes are blinded and he's led by his hand. Paul had never been led by anybody else before. Paul was the, a leader. And he, he was led. And for three days he fasted and prayed because he didn't know what it meant. So nowadays when something happens and we don't know what to do or what it meant, we go Google it. And we get a collection of other people's opinions and ignorance. You know what a committee is. It's pooled ignorance. <laughs> Church committees are pooled ignorance. Why, why do we need to get together? Now, there's sometimes we need counsel from one another. When we've got God who knows everything and we don't seek Him. Many of you, most of you have issues in your life you need answers to. As a church, there are things we need answers to. And we look everywhere else but coming together in prayer and asking the one who knows and the one who wants to tell us. But we're so busy, we can't set aside time. We're so, we're so distracted by our flesh and our mind and trying to deal with the issues of life that we can't set aside a time to hear what God, the creator of the universe who loves us more than we'll ever begin to imagine and wants to help us 
to listen to what he has to say. Pastors are the worst at this. I heard, who was it? Um, He's been here before. Anyway, um, I heard him on a a series of, of teachings talk to pastors. He says, pastors spend hundreds and thousands of dollars to go to seminars to hear what somebody else tells them they heard from God because they spent time with Him. When they could have spent time with Him and didn't need to go to the seminar. (laughs) But you know what? It's easier. It's easier on our flesh to listen to one another. It's easier on our flesh to go on Facebook. It's easier on our flesh to go into Wikipedia, which is not the wisest thing to do. It's easier on our flesh because, because we have control of the information. But if we open up to God, that takes some effort, some spiritual effort. That takes some self-denial, which it doesn't take to Google. Oh, you should exercise it. And we have control over that. But when you go to God and talk to God, He may tell you things you don't want to hear. And so, that's what the Lord dealt with me about when I showed last week, you know. The Lord showed with me. He says, you know, you've, you've been making decisions but without asking me. And I want you to start taking time to sit and listen to what I have to say. And so I started taking the time but I wasn't hearing anything. I said, Lord, why am I not hearing anything? Because you don't want to. A pastor doesn't want to. No. Because I might hear something I don't want to have to do. But when I saw that, I dealt with that. And you may be dealing with the same thing. That's good. It's quiet in here. That's good. It's quiet in here. But in each of these cases, there was a focus for their prayer. They came together... And they knew why they were coming. They didn't know the answer, but they knew what they were looking for. And why this is important this morning is because this is what we need to do this week. We've had times of prayer and fasting before, and I've shared some of that with you. Some of you are new here. But we really never had a focus to it. It was kind of, well, let's all go pray. Pray at home, pray, you know. But, but God's impressed on us that, 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 it's, it's, that we need to be focused in our purpose. And the basis of that is the prayer of agreement. It's coming together, and Jesus said, if two or more of you agree as anything on the earth, as touching anything on the earth, it will be done for you. Two or more are gathered in my name, there am I in your midst. So the coming together is important. And so the church is going to be open during the week, during normal business hours, and you may not be able to be here, I understand that. But we can come together as a church because we're focused on the same thing. We're focused on the same thing. So today we're going to look at the focus for this week and what we're looking to, to have God accomplish and what we need to do. In order to do that, we've got to step back and, and I've got to do a little teaching. I'm a teacher, so I teach. The Bible teaches that just as our body has five senses, so does your spirit. You may never thought of, not have ever thought of that before, but your spirit has senses, just as your body has senses. What is the purpose of your body's senses? It's the way you perceive what's going on in the in the in the in the environment around you. The famous story of Helen Keller, an amazing story. <clears throat> this is a little girl that was born deaf, 
dumb and blind. She couldn't hear and she couldn't see. And as a result, she couldn't speak. And it's how she dealt. There was a, uh, what was the name of the movie? The Miracle Worker. Uh, of a woman that helped her, this overwhelming thing, to, sudden, to, to be born and not have any, any sensory contact with the world around you. But spiritually, that's where most of us are. We have not developed our spiritual senses. And you have the same spiritual senses as you have physical senses. So I'm going to just go through some of these. This is just kind of to explain it. The senses are how we can perceive the physical realm around us. Well, our spiritual senses is also how we can experience the spiritual realm that's within us. Psalm 34, verse 8. Put that up there if you have it. Oh, taste and see. What? That the Lord is good. When you taste something, you experience it. Come home at night and my wife's cooking something and I walk in the door. And I can smell it. I want to taste it. Tasting means you experience it. So you can experience God's goodness. It's not just a concept. It's not just an idea. It's something you've experienced. Have you ever experienced God's goodness in your life? Then you've tasted Him. And see that the Lord is good. So we have spiritual tastes. We have spiritual eyes. We're going to get to that in a few minutes. Blessed is the man who trusts in Him. You can't really trust in Him until you've tasted Him and seen that He's good. Until you've experienced His goodness. The more you experience of His goodness, the more you can put your trust in Him. Ephesians 1, verse 17. That the Lord, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, might give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, verse 18, that the eyes of your understanding, some translations say heart, so your heart has eyes to it. Not two pupils, two orbs that can see, but it can see things inside. It can experience things inside of you. That the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, you might know what is the hope of it. So you can only know things spiritually that your spiritual eyes have seen. Just as you can only know things in the natural that your physical eyes have seen. What is the hope of His calling and the riches of His glory His inheritance in the saints? So we taste, we see. Second Chronicles 20, verse 12, this goes back to the, the story about Jehoshaphat. This was his prayer when they were fasting. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? That's the people that were coming against them. For we have no power against this great multitude that's coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but we're overwhelmed, we're in a crisis but look what he says. They've called a fast, but during that fast, but our eyes are upon you. I don't imagine, as I look at this, that they were all walking around looking like this. But their focus of their heart was to see or hear, what are you going to say? We're in trouble. Some of you have 
enemies bearing down on you right now. Spiritual enemies, natural enemies bearing down on you. What you need to do is see what God has to say to you. What's His answer? Because He has an answer. But they set themselves so they would know what to do. We don't know. We don't know. See, get honest with God. I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. That's where we are. I'm tired. I don't want to think up programs. We've tried so many different things to go do what we're called to do, and, and we've done a measure of it, but there's not, not what God has for us to do. So I stand before His path. There's something I don't know what to do about, but I know where to put my eyes. So this is a time to set your spiritual eyes on Him. But my eyes are on you. As a church, our eyes are on you. So we would know what to do. And He answered them. We also have ears, spiritual ears. We're not going to put it up there because there's too many of them. In the book of Revelation, in chapter 2 and 3, where Jesus tells John, I want to write, I want to write, I want you to write down, because I have, I want you to, I'm going to dictate to you a, a letter to seven different churches that are in Asia Minor. And I've, I've shared this with you many times before. What's significant to me, it's a different message to each church. And in the beginning, says, I know your works. I know what you've done. This is the head of the church. This is Jesus. And then, let me see. One, two, three, four, five. In six of the seven churches, he ends by saying, He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Seven different messages, or six different messages to six different churches, he ends by saying, He who has ears to hear, now, he's not talking about the flap of skin on the side of your, your head. He's talking about ears of the heart, the heart being open. We won't have time this morning, but I wanted to get over into Matthew... I don't think we get into it. Yeah, we will. Okay. Okay. So, he has ears to hear. Let him hear. So, we taste. We can see. We have spiritual eyes. We have spiritual ears. 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14 and 15. Now, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ that through us diffuses. It's big today to have diffusers. My wife has one in the bedroom next to her. She has one in the kitchen next to these odors just going off. And it's, it's nice. It's a diffuser. It's a, it's, it's a fragrance. And they're supposed to help you relax. And I don't know. But, but, but notice this. God always leads us in triumph so that through us there may be a fragrance of the knowledge of Him in every place. Verse 15. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ. There's a, Christ has, you know, each of us has a certain smell. I'm not talking about when you don't use your deodorant. Sometimes my wife will find she's wearing my, a t-shirt. She says, there's a certain smell you have. I just, I just, I, I love because it's with me. And I shared with you a few weeks ago when Billy Graham went home to be with the Lord that I'd read where his wife said that for when he would be travel these long trips and be away for long, she would sleep with his, with his tweed jacket on because it had a feel of him and it had a fragrance of, of, of him. So there's a fragrance there's a spiritual fragrance that's given off. You get around somebody that really knows the Lord and has really been in His presence, 
There's a fragrance about that. There's a, there's a fra- we had a singing group that I think Brother Lewis may have been part of years ago called The Fragrance of Christ. And Bobby, Judy Williams in it and some others. It was just, it was wonderful. So there's a fragrance. There's an, and it goes on to talk about, um, there's an aroma. He goes on, we don't have the scripture there, but he talks about there's an aroma of life and an aroma of death. So as we quiet this week our physical senses, these spiritual senses will become more acute. Now this is not a, this is not a serious fast, but in a serious fast it really becomes acute. You can come to the place after three or four days of a, of a full fast where you become so spiritually sensitive that you almost don't know you have a body. I've been there. It's amazing. You, and you don't want to eat. I remember I, went, I had to break the fast, one fast after eight days, and I just, I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to do it. I was at such a place of peace and such a place of rest. You need to hear that because in the beginning it doesn't feel like that's ever going to happen. <laughs> Okay, so we need to quiet. Now let's go to Matthew chapter 9. This is where I want to get to. That was all the introduction to prepare a foundation for what we're going to talk about for this week. Matthew chapter 9. Now Jesus is training His disciples. We're going to pick up in verse 35. Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Verse 36. But when he saw, when he saw, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. When he saw, go back to verse, stay there. When he saw the multitudes, I don't believe that's just talking about physically what he saw with his eyes, but it's what he saw with his heart. What he saw in his spirit was what? Because you can't see with your eyes that they're weary and scattered like sheep that have no... Because they're just people out there looking down over Jerusalem, a city... You can't with these physical eyes see. They're sheep because they weren't little bah, 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 bah. No, they were people. So with his physical eyes, he wasn't seeing a bunch of little bah, 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 bah. And they were lost because there was no shepherd. He's seeing people. He's seeing buildings. He's seeing the marketplace. He's looking down over the city. And although that's what he sees with his natural eyes, what he sees with his heart is that they're lost, they're weary, and they're scattered like sheep that don't have a shepherd. So the three things he saw, there's an order to this. And this is the purpose for this message. Jesus saw something with his heart. And when he saw it, what was his response? He was moved with compassion. That means he felt something. So the order here is he saw something with his heart and what he saw moved him. He felt something for them. Now verse 37. And he said to his disciples, Truly the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. Did I give you the next verse? 
Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. There is an order here that Jesus walked through that's so critical. This is why we're not doing what we're called to do. We're trying to get motivated to go out into the harvest, but we haven't seen what he saw, and therefore we haven't felt what he felt. So we have to push ourselves. We have to be made to feel guilty. We have to be driven to go out. Eleven years ago, I think it was, something like that, we had a big evangelist, worldwide evangelist come in here. And he was coming here to teach us how to go out and evangelize. And the week he was here, he'd send us out in the morning with teams to nursing homes, and it was amazing, and you know, a great spirit come in and shared. It was even on t- TV on some of the, of the networks, and Christian networks, and it was, it was marvelous. And I know the statistic he came up with was something like 12,000 people heard the gospel. Now, I don't know if some of the people I talked to in nursing really heard it, but anyway, we don't go there. And we were all energized, and then he left town. And we went back to our old practices and habits. Why? What motivated him was when he began that ministry, he saw something. And what he saw moved his heart and continues to move his heart today. Because he saw something, what he saw moved his heart and therefore he had to act. The problem was we were acting without seeing what he saw and feeling what he felt. Jesus, Jesus was first of all had to see it because he was now in human form. And then he had to feel it. It had to be touched. Isn't that, oh, John, be careful. You could get off on this. The Bible says in Hebrews, we have a merciful and faithful high priest who's touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Therefore, in chapter 4, it says, we can come boldly to the throne of grace that we say, me mercy and help in time. Why? Because we have a high priest who's experienced what it's like to deal with weakness. But he never gave in. He knows what it's like. to. He's experienced the, the struggle that you go through with temptation because he had to go through temptation, but he overcame it every time. Therefore, when you come to him, having failed, he can be merciful to you because he understands what you went go through because he had to struggle with the same things. See, God the Father doesn't understand that because He's never worn flesh. He's never had to struggle with temptation. The Bible says you can't tempt God. So He doesn't know what it's like to be walking on water one day and get up the next day and wonder whether you're saved. Ever, anybody ever do that? I've done that. It's like, what happened today? What, <laughs> what I do during the night? I don't know I did. You fell asleep is what happened. So this is how much He loves you. So we have a high priest representing us before God who knows what it's like to be human. God, God loves you so much. He was willing to put flesh on so he could understand what you deal with. So he could be merciful and provide help. That's how much he loves you and wants to help you, not judge you and condemn you for your struggles. The devil wants you to think he's ready to judge you for your struggles. 
we're trying to motivate ourselves to do God's will without seeing what He sees or feeling what He feels. What He saw and what He felt moved Him to pray for the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. And we're not going to go there, but then in chapter 10, He commissions 12 of His disciples and sends them out as laborers into the harvest and then eventually commissions... He acted. And see, that's the order. See, feel, and do. And we try to do without feeling and we can't feel unless you see. That make sense? Alright. Praise the Lord. Okay. Now let's take a look at an example of this. Let's go to John chapter 3. Oh. Jesus has this encounter with one of the Pharisees, one of the sincere Pharisees. His name was Nicodemus. And Nicodemus comes to Jesus. I, I can't resist this. Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. You know where I'm going. It's the first Nick at night. <laughs> All right, Nick. That's an old joke. It's very old. It's so old it's stale, and some people don't know what Nick at night means. I better change my examples. We're going to pick up in verse 3. John chapter 3. Nicodemus has come and said to him, You know, we know that you've got to come from God because nobody can do the things that you've done. Jesus answered him and says, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot sing the kingdom of God. Now the word again there in Greek, the word then again there in Greek has two meanings. It means a second time, but it also means from above. And it means both of them here. So unless you're born, have a second birth, and unless it's from above, you cannot see, you cannot what? You cannot what? You cannot what? See the kingdom of God. How many of you are born again? You've seen the kingdom of God, but not with these eyes. With these eyes. But Nicodemus doesn't understand this. Verse 4. Nicodemus says to him, whoa, 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 whoa. Nick was a a bright guy. He was one of the Pharisees. He says, wait a minute, he's trying to process this. How, How can a man be born a second time when he's old? He's trying to picture this. How can a... How can a man enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born. So here the problem is Jesus is not talking to him about this natural body. He's talking about a spiritual thing that's vital. It determines your eternal destiny. So he has to get him to see with spiritual eyes what he's trying to understand with his natural eyes. Verse 5. So he says, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Verse 6. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. So he's saying, look, what I'm talking to you about has nothing to do with the flesh. It's not a birth of the flesh. That you've already got. To get into heaven, you've got to have two births. You've already got the first one because you're standing in front of me. But there's a birth in the Spirit you don't understand yet, you don't see. Verse 7. Don't marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. Verse 8. Now, this looks like he changes subjects. 
The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone born of the Spirit. Now he's not saying Spirit-led people are, Ooh, oh, the wind's blowing over here today. Ooh. I've known some that were like that, but that's not that Spirit. Jesus trying to get his eyes to look at a spiritual truth instead of a natural truth. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but you can't tell where it comes from and where it goes. Now we can understand that because a few weeks ago we had a storm come, the northeaster, we've had four northeasters come through here, but we had one that was, I mean the wind was amazing. We had hurricanes that didn't do that. Many of you lost power. I lost power for two days. Had to spend, we spent uh, two nights in our son's daughter-in-law's basement uh, uh, because the wind knocked power lines down. It walked, knocked trees down. We had a tree in our neighborhood that was knocked down. But did you see the wind? You can't see it with your eyes, can you? But we know that's been there, don't we? You get up in the morning, you can do it online. You can, they tell you the wind speed and the wind direction because they can see the wind? No. They have physical instruments that the wind affects. So it turns that weather vane in a direction so you know where the wind's coming from because you can't see it. If you could see the wind, you wouldn't need the weather vane because you could say, oh, it's going there, over there. But you can tell, you can't see it, but you can tell it's been there. So is everyone born of the Spirit. You can't see the spiritual birth with your natural eyes, but you can tell it's been there. You can see the results. So he's trying to teach them a spiritual birth. He does the same thing over in John chapter 4. Let's go there quickly. This is the woman at the well. John chapter 4, Jesus encounters this woman at the well. She's a Samaritan woman. And he talks to her. He talks to her about water. And he says to her, the story, you know the story. He says, you, you, we've, you know, ask her for a drink of water. And she says, why are you a, you're a, a Jew, male, and you're asking me, a Samaritan woman, for water? And he says, if you knew who it was that was talking to you, you would ask me and I'd give you living water. So he's trying to take her eyes off of the physical, natural things and set her eyes on a spiritual gift he wants to give her. And he takes her through this conversation to help her come to that place. So that's what this time that we're going to do this week. It's a time to, 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 to put aside food for that part of the day. It's a time to use that as whenever you can. Take your lunch time that you'd normally eat and at least use that to be quiet and pray. And fa- and pray. If you've got to go into a restroom, if you've got to go to your car, somewhere you can get quiet and alone, even if it's for half an hour, it will do you good. And what we're doing is we're trying to be, get quiet enough so we can hear what God's saying to us. And I'm gonna, we're going to give you specific things to ask for at the end of the service. So we need to... Let's go to Matthew 13, quickly. These were the verses I mentioned earlier I didn't know if I was going to get to, but... Matthew 13. Jesus is just finishing again, teaching people parables. Parables is a story, that's a simple story. And most of the people said, well, that was a nice story, thank you. And they went on their way. But the disciples would come to him afterwards and say, what did it mean? In Matthew chapter 5, it starts out, or Matthew 4 ends with, Jesus taught them parables. And then the disciples come up and ask him, what does that mean? See, 
He laid the story out, but only those who had ears to hear would want to know there was something else behind the story. So here he's done it again. And he's, let's see, Matthew, starting verse 10. And his disciples came and said, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered and said to them, Because it's been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it's not been given. I don't have time to explain that. It sounds terrible, but that's not what it means. For whoever has, to him more will be given. To whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables. Because hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. In them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear, but you shall not understand. Seeing you will see and not perceive. For their hearts have grown dull, and their ears have grown hard of hearing. And their eyes have cl- they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them or save them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear, heard. Hear. For assuredly I say to you that many of the prophets and the righteous men desired to see what you see and to hear what you hear, but they did not hear it. The verse before all that says, He was ears to hear, let him hear. So, what is it we're to hear? What is it the world to listen to for? First of all, whatever God wants to say to us. They couldn't hear because they didn't have ears to hear. But there are things God wants to speak to you personally about for your life, your life's direction. Just to tell you He loves you. He's been speaking to to me like that on a level now I've never heard before. Because my heart's open, I'm spending time. So one of the things we're going to look at is we're going to look at what is God just speaking to me personally. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. This is some of my favorite verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Chapter 1, he has talked about that they were carnal, they were still in their flesh, that they didn't know how to, they weren't spiritually discerning even though the gifts of the Spirit were flowing powerfully. And then in chapter 2 he says, but there is a wisdom, there is the wisdom that mature Christians can, can have. And then he says this, I love it, I want this to sink into you. This is talking to Faith Christian Center, this is talking to me, to you. But eye has not seen, nor has ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of men the things that God has prepared for those who love Him. I want to stop there a minute. Let that sink in. Your eyes have not yet seen. I'm talking about your eyes of your inner man. Your ears have not yet heard. Nor is your heart grasped or understood. All, think about it, that God has prepared for you. God has prepared things for you that He wants to bring to you, to show to you, to reveal to you, to do for you that the only reason they're not in your life is you haven't seen them, you haven't heard them, and therefore you haven't believed them and received them with your heart. All that God has prepared for those who love Him. Do you love Him? He's prepared things for you you haven't seen yet. So in this week, there are things God wants to show you that He's prepared. There's things God wants to show this church. Why has He preserved us for 39 years? We've gone through some amazing challenges that would destroy other churches and have destroyed other churches. And we're still here. Why? I'll ask that question. Why? That's one of the questions I'll ask Him. Because there are things our eyes haven't seen. There are things our ears haven't heard. All that God has prepared for this church and you as part of this church. Verse 10. 
Does that mean we're blind to Him? We're never going to see Him? But God has revealed them to us through His Spirit. Why? Look at this. The Spirit searches. Who is it that searches? Not your mind. This is not done with your understanding. It's not because you reason it out and think it out. I wonder what God wants to do for me. The Spirit reveals them. And the Spirit who reveals them searches all things. Yes, the depths of the things of God. Verse 11. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of the man that's in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Verse 12. Now we've received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit that's come from God, that we might know. That word means by experience. That we might know with a certainty by experience the things that we have freely been given to us by God. By God. Verse 13. Is that in there? Never mind, that's okay. Praise the Lord. He goes on to say, He goes on to say, but the search, Spirit searches the heart of God. Every day when you get up, the Spirit searches the heart of God to bring up and show you the things that are in God's heart for you. But we don't hear. We don't see because we're too busy. We're too busy paying attention to our flesh, getting at ready to go to work making sure there's food in our stomach and our stomach's satisfied. So we can't hear. So when we set aside a time to deny the stomach and to deny our body the food, this is what we need to be looking for. What do you want to say to me? What do you want to say to me? There's things that God sees that we don't see all around us every day. Every day, every one of us interacts to some degree with the people in the world that are lost that are dying, that without Christ they will spend an eternity in hell. And, the, and what the, the biggest sign of where we are spiritually is that doesn't bother us. That doesn't bother. There's not, this is not to condemn us, because I'm in the same place. This, this, this is not to condemn us. This is to awaken us, to see where we really are. So we need to have, we need to Him to show us his, what He sees when he sees the lost around us. We need to then feel what he feels when we see the lost around us because then we'll be moved with the compassion that he... He was so moved for the lost that he sent his son to pay the price for their sin so they could receive him. And he just needs us to share that. But we're not moved because we don't see the need. Oh, we understand it in our minds. We understand it in church. But we're not moved by compassion for the lost that are around us the way Jesus was when He looked in Jerusalem. Another thing we're going to look for to see that He sees is what I call the thin veil. A veil is a curtain. The thin veil between this life and eternity. Do you have any idea how close eternity is to you? How close eternity is to the people around us? And yet we live our whole life. We go through our daily routine as if we're going to live forever. And the people around us are going to live forever. And so there's no sense of urgency. No sense of urgency. There are people that will get up tomorrow morning. They'll go to bed tonight, get up tomorrow morning, thinking that day is going to be like any other day, not knowing that that day they're going to step from this realm into eternity. And where they're going to step 
determines on whether they've received Christ or not. So we need Him to show us the eternal realm. We'll close with Revelation chapter 3. None of this is to condemn us, but it's to wake up and see where we really are. We need Him to wake us up and to see where we really are. The last letter that Jesus wrote through John to a church is in Revelation 3.14. To the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, most theologians believe that the angel is the pastor's. That word's a messenger. To the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Verse 15. I know your works, that you're neither cold nor hot. Now we think, well, that's better off than being cold, not according to Jesus. I'd rather have you cold or hot. Why? Because I don't know about you, when I'm cold, I know I'm cold. When I get up last night in the middle of the night, I was cold because our heat goes down at night. I was cold. I went looking for my jacket that I wear when I pray. I, was, I knew I was cold. There was no doubt I was cold. When I get hot, I know I'm hot. But when you're in between, you don't know which you are. And this is where so much of the church is today. I'd rather have you cold or hot. Verse 16. Because you're lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I vomit you out of my mouth. We're not going to go there right now. Verse 17. Because, this is why. Because you say... See, this church evaluated themselves. They looked at the wonderful videos they have. They looked at the great attendance they have. They looked at the nice building that they have. They looked at the wonderful programs that they had. And they said, I'm rich. I have become wealthy. Look what we've done. And I have need of nothing. We're content. See, most Christians are content. That's why they come to church once a month. After 9-11, nobody was content. You knew it because the churches were filled. And gradually, as the emergency began to get more and more distant, the need became, began to fade, and people began to think they were well off again. So they drifted back out of the... Out of, out of seeking God, back into their other things that demand our attention. The church of the United States, again, that's not everybody. That's not everybody in here. We're lukewarm. Lukewarm, you can't tell whether you're cold or hot, so you're comfortable. Lukewarm means I'm comfortable. Now, there's good news in here, so just hang on. But you don't know. This is Jesus saying, this is what I see when I look at you. You're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Oh my goodness, he's mad at this church. No, he's not. This is what I see. I counsel you to buy gold refined by fire that you may be rich. I don't have time to get in all this. What he's talking about is eternal things, eternal value. This was a church that obviously had resources. They had a, maybe had a nice place that what they met. They may have, I, I don't know, but they had material things that made them think they were wealthy. And Jesus said, those material things don't mean you're wealthy. I actually see you as spiritually poor. So you need to buy from me. Now buy implies to me it's going to cost us something. Not money, but it's going to cost us something. Refined by fire, that means going through a test. That you may tr- be truly rich in my eyes. And white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may be real. And anoint, this is what I want to get to, and anoint the eyes of, with your eyes with eye salve, 
that you may see. He said, he said, this is where you are, but there's a way out. I'm speaking to you because I need you to wake up and realize you're not where you think you are. And there's a way out. This is what you must do. So the church is hearing what Jesus says where you are and what you must do. Verse 19. Look at this. As many as I love. He's not mad. Because he loves them, he'll rebuke them. We don't like to hear that word in church. But I shared with you a few weeks ago, we're talking about growing up. That we need an atmosphere of love to grow up in, and in the, in for our, us personally, that should be our home. But spiritually, that should be the local church. And you need a father in the local church just like you need a father at home. And Paul says, you have 10,000 teachers but not many fathers. What a father will do is tell you the truth. A father will rebuke you. Rebuke doesn't mean reject. It means wake you up. And because he loves us, he rebukes us and chastens us. Therefore, be zealous and repent. So here was a church that thought everything was going well, But when Jesus showed up, they found out where they really were. I'd rather find out where we really are, because we're going to find out sometime. The Bible says we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Not talking about whether you go to heaven or not. That's the great white throne. Great, great white throne. But we will all appear, 1 Corinthians 3, before the judgment seat of Christ to receive His evaluation of what we did with what He gave us to do what our assignment was, personally and as a church. And we're going to find out then how we did. I've shared with you when I went to law school, I don't think they do this anymore. First year of law school, except with one exception, the classes, the courses were all year long and there were no tests, no projects. The only grade you got was the final exam. So you didn't know whether you were getting it or not until it was too late. I don't want to do that with God. I don't want to go all the way along. That's why I'm going to heaven. I'm talking, because there's so much more than whether you go. I'm talking about once you're there, you're going to spend eternity there. I want to know now what that judgment is while there's time to make the adjustments and change instead of closing my eyes and sticking my head in the ground because I'm scared because I'm going to get it out of, the, out of the ground and face Him one day. And He loves me, but He's a righteous judge. Why? Because He sees things in this world and it moves Him and He wants to do something about it, but He needs us to act on His behalf. But we need to see what He sees, feel what He feels, so we'll do what He's doing. Praise the name of the Lord. 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 So where are we? Where are we as a church? I can't look at us and judge. I mean, there's certain indications of some health. But Jesus doesn't look at us based on how well we're doing now. He measures us against what we could be doing. He measures us against what He wants us to be. Remember we talked about growing up? that the Bible says that, that there's an image that God has of you on his, on his refrigerator, you know, and that image is Christ. So He's going to work at you until you represent Christ to people that are around you. I don't mean just with your words, with your life. 
Now, we may never get there fully in this life, but that standard, that goal is set before us to keep reaching towards. Paul says, I've not yet attained it either, but I forget what lies behind, but I'm pressing on so that I may lay hold of what Christ laid hold of me for. And that's what we need to be. And as a church, we need to do the same thing. So we've got to see what is it he sees so we can feel what he feels. And then we'll really go do what he wants us to do. On the day of Pentecost, they didn't have an evangelism program where they handed a bunch of tracts to send them out. They were the tracts. They were the testimonies. Nobody had to tell them to go out. They spilled out into the streets. Why? Because they'd seen something. They'd felt something. Something had changed inside of them and they couldn't contain it. This is what God wants to do in this hour. So I'll end with this. What we're going to provide for you, I know what Pastor Kurt mentioned, but I've asked Alan to have the ushers and maybe some of the greeters to stand at the doors as you leave. And we have a little handout to give you that gives you a little summary of, of this simple message. See, feel, do. And then it has a list of the focuses to pray for each day. So you can take that with you, stick it in your Bible, put it in your refrigerator. As Pastor Kurt said, every day we're going to put it out on social media, the one for that day. We're going to put out on uh, uh, emails to those of you who are in, in our email list. That, so you'll have it in front of you. So we can do that together and post it together. And I just want to encourage you to be part of this. I'm telling you, it'll change your life. It'll energize you. It'll give you passion. It'll give you meaning for your life. Even if it just, you begin to hear one thing from God, that'll change your life. One word from God will change your life. So we're not praying. There's some at the end where we pray for things to happen. But the first three or four are really to be able to hear Asking God to be able to see. And you've got to get quiet for that and you've got to be will- willing to recognize, I don't see what I need to see. I know we don't because we're, we're, we're sitting here as if we're just comfortable. We're not, we're not running out to do things for God. We're comfortable. So we haven't seen what He sees yet. So we haven't felt what He felt yet. And we haven't, so we're not doing it. I'll end with this simple story. Some of you may know who Lester Summerall was. Um, he went home to be with the Lord, I don't know, 15 years ago. It would take a week's teaching to give you the story of his life. But he was struggling with the same kind of lethargy. And he had a dream, a vision and a dream. And in this dream he saw a line of people, sound like Dr. Seuss, all lined up, quiet, eyes closed, taking one step at a time. And as they got to the end, the person at the end would take one step off and he would step off into eternity, into hell. And he watched them. He watched them stepping one at a time towards an eternal, eternal destiny separated from God. And they, they, were, they were just walking along, following the person in front of them. And when he saw, when he saw this, it changed his life. Because he realized that was the people around him every day. And in the dream, he's trying to get, wake up, don't you understand where you're going? Because when he saw what was happening, he couldn't sit still. We need to see what God sees. 
so we'll hear what God, feel what God feels. And then we'll do because we want to what God wants us to do. Let's pray. Father, as we end today and we will begin this time of seeking you this week, help us to hear. Help us to see. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that you've given to us who helps us see and hear. And we're looking to Him and relying on Him to do that in this time we have together. This is like no other time we've had as a church. We may well be at a crossroads and don't know it. We need to hear from you in our personal lives and as a church. And so we're confident that you'll do that. 